Noah's Ark. So if you have your Bible, take your Bible and turn to chapter 6 of Genesis. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you on the back table, there are some books and there are especially some Cornerstone magazines. I'd love to have everybody uh, get Cornerstone magazine. It's a good magazine. Uh, I have been the editor of the magazine for this year, and I am shifting over to writing a regular column and Mark Colchin will be shifting over to be the editor. You can pray for him because it's the first time he's done that and first time I've done what I've done. So anyway, we're, sh- we're shifting around a little bit, and, uh, and we're very happy with the magazine. Uh, it's been growing. We have about 4,000 people that are on our mailing list in Canada and the United States, and I think it's very well received, and so we're, we're encouraged by that. And... Um, Let's open in a word of prayer, and then we'll look into the passages. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for the word of God, that we can trust it, we can believe in it, we can defend it. Father, we can stand upon it. And uh, we pray tonight as we look into these chapters in Genesis about the flood and the ark of Noah. Father, we pray that you'll bless us and encourage us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you know, as you talk to someone about the gospel, invariably, you're sharing the gospel, you tell them you believe in the Bible, you tell them you, uh, you're a Christian, uh, you believe that the Bible is literally fulfilled and you believe in the Bible literally, and invariably, after you finish that sentence, they'll ask you, do you believe in the ark of Noah? Do you believe in the flood in the early chapters of Genesis? And if you say yes, they think you can't be serious. You can't be a serious thinking person if you do that. And so I think it's important that every Christian have a grasp of uh, what the Bible says about the Ark of Noah, what it says about the flood, uh, and why we can believe it and how we can defend it. And, uh, and I think it's a very important part of our understanding of Scripture. So tonight we want to do that. And uh, I was just talking to Lisa Matthews, before we began, she said she went to visit uh, the, I'm not sure what it's called, but the Ark in Kentucky, the, uh, the Creation Museum, and I have heard great things from it, and you'll see some pictures here uh, from that, from the internet, and uh, I look forward to some time going to see it, and if you have a chance, I'm sure you'll enjoy it very much as well. Well, here, Bible's open to Genesis chapter 6, and let's begin to read at verse 8, verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then let's drop down a little bit further um, to verse 13, verse 12. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. And all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. I wonder what the Lord would say today as he looks around. What would he say about North America uh, and our world today? He goes on to say in verse 13, And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through, uh, through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Then it tells us about the ark. It says, make an ark of gopher wood. We don't know. There's no scholar. Every commentary I've read is not sure what gopher wood is. Um, but at that time, there was a wood. And it was a very usable wood, and so God said to use that kind of wood, make an ark of gopher wood. Rooms you shall make in the ark. That's the first thing, I would underline that. 
that little rooms you should make in the ark. He says also, and thou shalt pitch it within and without. Put pitch tar on the outside of the ark and also on the inside of the ark. And he says, and this is the fashion which you should make it. The length of it should be 300 cubits. A cubit is from, the, from your, your, your finger to your elbow. Some people are taller. Some have longer arms, have smaller arms. But it's roughly 18 inches. A cubit is 18 inches. And roughly 300, 300 cubits, um, according to answers in Genesis, is about 510 feet long. So if you're watching the Miami, what are, what came as a, a Dolphins, Miami Dolphins Day, you look at that football field, think of a football field and a half. A football field and a half in length was the ark. And then it says, to the breadth is 50 cubits, 75 feet wide. And then it says 30 cubits high, 45 to 50 feet high. That's what the ark was. Very, very immense when you see the ark, the exact size of it in Kentucky, it is enormous. It is, it is impressive to see the size of it. A window thou shalt make in the ark, and in a cubit thou shalt finish it above. So the window was above. Any picture you see of Noah's ark, and you'll see a lot of them. I'll see one right here. It's wrong. <laughs> uh. They got windows all on the side of this ark. See this ark? They got windows all on the side. There was no, it was one window and it was on top. You know, you see these cutesy pictures for kids with the, the giraffe's head out the window, out the side, and, and, and all that kind of thing. That's not the way it was. It was one, no, there was a one window on the top and it was a cubit in size. A window thou shalt make the ark, and a cubit thou shalt finish it above. And the door of the ark thou shalt set on the side of it, and the lower, and you will have lower, second, and third stories or levels within the ark. And then it goes on to say in verse 17, And behold, I, even I, do bring flood waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein, uh, wherein breath of life is, and under heaven, and everything that is on the earth shall die. Why should we believe the ark, the, the account of the ark of Noah? Now we have it here. I believe it just because it's in the Bible. I don't have to worry about that. But if we're going to talk to someone else and, and try to explain them why they should believe this account, why, what are the reasons they should believe this account? Uh, I think there's three reasons for it. And they may not believe these three reasons, but I think there's three very good reasons. First of all, the Lord Jesus Christ believed it. He mentioned about Noah and the ark uh, in his preaching. We find the writer of, he of Hebrews writes about Noah and the ark. We find a number of writers in the New Testament write about the ark and about Noah. That's number one reason. The second reason, which I think is very impressive, is of all the exact details about the ark and the exact details about when the rain fell, how long that it fell, how long the waters uh, increased upon the earth, how long it was when they decreased upon the earth, when it was that the ark rested upon Mount Ararat, how long it was before they saw the tops of mountains, how long it was before the, the water receded completely, how, how long it took 
in months and time before all the water receded and they were able to get out of the ark onto dry ground. Incredible amount of details, more details in these chapters, 6, 7, and 8, than I was saying anywhere else in the entire Bible, except maybe the tabernacle has more exact lengths and details. I'm going to look at a chart with you for a minute. We're told when, we're told when uh, uh, Noah began to build the ark. And we find this in chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 13. I'm sorry. Chapter 7 and verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of the life of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month. Isn't that amazing? That's when, that's when the rain began to fall. It tells the exact time that the rain began to fall. We find out that he was 600 years old in chapter 7 and verse 11. We find also back in chapter 6 that uh, the Lord says in verse 3 of chapter 6, he would strive with man for 120 years. That in this time period that, that Noah is building the ark would be 120 years long. That he has strived with man, building it, allowing the, the violence and corruption to go on. So we believe that he was 480 years old when he began to build the ark. And the ark was finished, and the rain began to fall when he was 600 years old. But turn with me to chapter 8 and verse 13. And it came to pass, isn't it interesting in chapter, in chapter 7 and verse 12, the exact month, the exact day that the rain began to fall. Then we're told also the exact day, the exact month, and the exact year of his life that it stopped. Or that, that uh, verse 13 of chapter 8. And it comes to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried up off the earth, and, Moab re uh, and Noah removed the covering from the ark, and looked, behold, the face of the ground was dry. And he stepped onto dry ground. So we have the exact time in months and days that he stepped on dry ground, the exact time and days and months that he went into the ark. We have all these exact days, uh, uh, exact years, days, and dates of all the events that took place uh, in Noah's life. Now, at age 600, his family enters the ark. Forty days later, you can read that in chapter 7 and verse 12. For 40 days and 40 nights, it was rain, chapter 7, verse 12, there was rain upon the earth. And it stopped after 40 days. But the fountains of the deep were broken up, and rain had come down, and the rain continued to rise on the earth for 150 days. We find that in verse 3 of chapter 8. And the waters returned from off the earth and continually... I'm sorry, uh, chapter 7 and verse 24. And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. That word prevailed means increased, continued to increase after the, after the 40 days and nights of rain. The fountains of the earth opening up, the water within the earth and the water coming down from above. For 150 uh, days, the rain increased 
upon the earth. All of these minute details we find over and over again. In verse 24, we find that the, the, the ark of chapter 7 rests upon Mount Ararat. We find in chapter 8 and verse, uh, verse 5, it says, In one month and 17 days, is that the place I'm trying to find? Verse 4 of chapter 8. In the seventh month, another month, and 17 days, 47 days later, uh, the tops of the mountains are visible. Isn't it interesting? 47 days, not 46 days, not 45 days, exactly when the mountains are visible, the exact days given. Another month and then 17 days. 22 days later, the waters recede. 13 days later, Noah sees dry ground. 57 days later, he exits the ark. We have exact details of these 377 days of what happened. Doesn't that suggest that this is a real event? How could you have so many days, so many months, so many exact details about this event and it not being true? It sounds like there's someone that's an eyewitness of all of these things and they recorded it. You know, it's like if you go on a cruise, your first cruise, you kind of record everything you did. You know, you went to Bahamas and you went here and you saw that. Every detail you see. To summarize on the bottom, I don't know if you can see this bottom part. 150 days the water increased upon the earth. 150 days for the water to decrease upon the earth. 70 days Noah waited for the waters to dry the earth. The waters to dry from off the earth. He was a patient man, I think. Here's the ark resting. He's been in that ark a long time. And he's saying, Lord, when do I get out of this ark? And then Noah and his family spends a total of 377 days in the ark. Can you imagine that? Now turn back with me to chapter, chapter 7. I like this part of the account. Another number of days. In chapter 7, the Lord says, in verse 1, says to Noah, The time has come. Come into the ark and bring all of the animals into the ark, some in pairs, some in sevens. He gives exact details about all the animals that should come into the ark. And they're all upon the ark. And then he says this. He says, wait seven days in the ark. We're told this in verse 4. For yet seven days, and I will cause rain to come upon the earth. The door of the ark is open. I assume there's a ramp so the animals can go into the ark. The door is open. All the animals are in. Noah and his family are in. Everything is ready for the rain to fall. And he says, stay in the ark and wait seven days. We're told also in chapter 7 and verse 10, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. Why seven days? Why did God wait an additional seven days after 120 years of working and building that ark? Here's what I want to suggest. 
I'm not, I'm not sure of the reason. Maybe you uh, have a very viable reason, but I think it was this. I think those were upon the earth. I think they watched Noah build. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and I think that he preached to them. He preached repentance to them. He preached to believe God and have faith in God and believe in the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was building, much like those in in the days of um, Nehemiah, with a tool in one hand and whatever he had in the other hand, he preached preached to the people around him. As far as we know, it never rained upon the earth before. And so they are watching him build this huge, incredibly large ark and all the animals, and he's telling them what he's going to do. And they're scoffing and they're laughing and they're mocking him. The day comes. The ark is finished. I wonder if there was a huge crowd around the entranceway of that ark. I don't know. And all the animals get in. And Noah and his family gets in. Everything is ready. And Noah says, and God says to Noah, wait seven days. I wonder if he told them, told the people watching, there's seven days before the rain is going to fall and God will close the door of the ark. And one day went by, and he may have said six more days, five more days, four more days, three more days, two more days, one more day. And the saddest thing in Scripture The saddest thing I know of maybe in all of Scripture is that not one person that he preached to ever entered that ark. And he waited an additional, God waited an additional seven days of grace for one person to come. And no one came. And then we read, I think in verse 25, and God shut the door. When that door went shut, there's no more chance. When those drops of water began to fall, and the drop when the first drops fell, they didn't know what it was, I'm sure. What is this coming from the heavens? They never saw it before. But then they saw it rise and the fountains of the deep. I'm sure they wanted to get in to that ark. But it was too too late. Too late to get into that ark. Probably everyone in this room, if you're a Christian, you probably had this kind of experience that I had as a boy. I knew the gospel and I wasn't saved. And I was probably eight years old. And my parents hardly went, they didn't go out anywhere without taking us with them. But they, I was playing outside with my friends and I came in. It was probably a Friday night in the summertime in New Jersey. And I came into the house, and there were coffee cups with coffee still in the cups. And my sister was gone, and my other sister was gone, and I was home. And I went up to, I, I called out from my parents, and they weren't in the house. I went to their bedroom, they weren't in the bedroom. I went down into the den, they weren't in, they were nowhere in the house, they weren't in the backyard, they were not in the garage, they weren't anywhere in the house. I remember going downstairs as seven or eight years old. I knew the gospel. I knew the rapture. I knew the Lord's coming. I knew that if I didn't trust Christ as my Savior, I would not go with him to heaven. I knew that much. And I remember going downstairs at eight years old, sitting on the couch in the den, (laughs) 
thinking to myself, the rapture has come. It's too late. It's too late for me. I'm left behind, and my parents are gone. My sisters are gone. They've gone to heaven. My parents are gone to heaven, and it's too late for me. That's what I think of. That's what I feel when I see this account. The door goes closed, and it's too late for the world. So I hope if you're a young person here tonight, I hope you've trusted Christ. I hope you trust Christ when you're young. I hope you trust Christ as soon as you know and understand the gospel. And don't wait for the door to close, and don't wait for the Lord to come, and don't wait before it's too late to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We find here he waited seven days, days of grace for the world. You know, there's enough space for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on that ark. You say, was there any room? Some people tell me, but if, if you wanted people to come to the ark, was there enough room if a thousand people came? I think there was. Let's look at a couple of things. We talked about this, the rain coming on the earth and the fountains of the earth breaking up. Uh, breaking up, raining 40 days and 40 nights, prevailing, waters prevailing, increasing on the earth for 150 days. How large was the ark? How many have seen this in Kentucky? Anybody have gone to this? Oh, a lot of people are eyewitnesses. You can see these are people walking alongside these little dots, these little tiny little things in front of the lower picture. These are people. Look at those people. Look at the size of that. Incredible. How many people could have fit on that ark? I don't know. The scientists say this. They say the ark was 515, uh, 510 feet long, 75 feet wide, 50 feet high. According to uh, Henry Morris, the dimensions as calculated in total volume capacity of the ark was approximately one point. 1,400,000 cubic feet. 1,400,000 cubic feet, which is equal to 522 standard livestock cars, which are used in modern American railroads, which can house 240 sheep one in, in, uh, in one stock car. A total of 125,000 sheep could have been on that ark carried in the ark. How many people, I don't know, and how many animals, I don't know, but thousands upon thousands of animals, three levels on the ark, many, many rooms upon the ark. It says you should make rooms on the ark and you shall have a lower second and third level. So when we have a football field and a half, we really have three football fields and a half on that ark. Filled with different rooms for different animals. Now, I don't know what it looked like inside. Uh, here's a, an artist's uh, representation of it. Was there food on some of the levels? Uh, were there animals on all the levels? We don't know. We're not told that much. Uh, some believe there was food on the second level and animals in different levels and so forth. We don't know if the rooms were like this. I think it's kind of funny to... To see the dinosaur here and somebody on the second level playing with the dinosaur on the first level. I don't know that's, how it, that's actually how it was. But we know there were levels and we know there were rooms. And we know there were hundreds and thousands of animals upon the ark. And there are only eight individuals in that ark. He says in chapter 6 and verse 25, we're told 
Take thou unto thee all food that is to be eaten, and thou shalt gather it unto thee. It shall be for thee and for them, for the animals and for the people. I think there was plenty of food for everyone. 377 days. We never read that they were hungry. We never read that the food ran out. But God brought, or Noah brought food enough for all of the... Can you imagine how much food that was? Food for all the animals, food for all of the people, for you and for them. Did this flood take place? It's interesting, a couple of facts um, that on most of the major mountain ranges in the world, Mount Everest included in Nepal, the the highest mountain in the world, the top 3,000 feet, the the top 3,000 feet on Mount Everest and many other mountains and mountain ranges in the world, we find uh, fossils of sea creatures. We find petrified clams in the open position, even on the top part of Mount Everest. Uh, These are some of the fossils found on Mount Everest. Sea fossils on the highest mountain in the world. Creationists would say, how did it get there? How How did fossilized sea creatures get get to the highest point Uh, on mountains throughout the world. Of course, creationists would say it was the flood, of course. Flood that covered all the mountain ranges in the world. 150 days, another 150 days for it to recede, long enough for a lot of of sea creatures uh, to have died and to have found their way, and when the waters receded, Uh, to have been left behind on those mountain ranges. There are more than 250 uh, legends of the flood and how the flood rose and how the waters rose above the mountains. We find this all over the world. Um, This past summer, I was uh, in Vancouver ministering in that area, and, and they said, why don't you go take a drive, see some of the mountains, see some of the scenery of Vancouver. Just drive about an hour north and go to the town of Squamish, which is an Indian town uh, that has a rich, long history of the Squamish Indians that live there. And they said, why don't you take a a tram to the top of this mountain? It's a great view. It's called a Sea to Sky Tram. I don't like heights at all. I closed my eyes the whole way up. Faith laughed at me, but I did it. But I got to the top. And one of my friends said, before you go up there, he said, take this one, this path. On top of this mountain, there are these paths. You can go to various places. See very. He said, take this one path uh, and go to the left. And he said, you'll read about histories of the Squamish people. And you'll read this that I've recorded here on this slide. This is one of the 250 legends of the flood. I think it's very interesting. It says, in the time of our ancestors, The water rose up. It rained big drops, bigger than two hands put together. And the drops kept falling and falling. And the water rose up until it covered Gross Mountain and all the little mountains 
and it covered all the mountains except three peaks. Mount Baker, Mount Garibaldi, that's where we were, near there. Mount Sacchus, all the way up the Squamish River. The people in their canoes rose up, and they steered through the cedar trees, huge, huge cedar trees. The water went above the cedar trees. It said they got on their canoes, and the water rose above that. It rose above all the smaller mountains, and they they steered clear of the cedar trees. One of them broke off a branch, another twisted them and made a cedar rope uh, four inches thick, and they tied the rope around the top of Mount Garibaldi, uh, and that's how they survived. Now, we know that they all perished, but this is the legend. But isn't it interesting? Here in Vancouver, in the coastal mountains that are there, beautiful high mountains, the Squamish Indians have a legend that it rained and rained and rained, and that water covered nearly all of those mountains. And there are 250 legends just like this. Isn't it interesting? Did they make, just make that up out of thin air and there is no evidence in fact? Now, I'm not saying that's biblical. It's just interesting that they have those kinds of legends which coincide and vindicate what we have in the word of God. Were there dinosaurs on the ark? Absolutely, there were dinosaurs on the ark. Now, scientists will tell us that dinosaurs lived 65 million years before man. But turn with me in your Bible to Job chapter, Job chapter 41. Book of Job chapter 41. If you're speaking to someone about the gospel and you tell me you believe in, in the flood and you believe in Noah and you believe in the ark and you share some of those things and you be, they begin to listen to you and have some credibility, the next question they're going to ask you, do you believe there were dinosaurs on the ark? And I would say to them, absolutely, absolutely there were dinosaurs on the ark. I don't know if they're baby dinosaurs. I don't know if they're full-size dinosaurs. I don't know what size they were. I don't know what size the other animals were. We don't know that. But we know there were animals upon the ark. Job chapter 40 and verse 15. Behold the behemoth which I made with you, which I made with thee. He eats grass like an ox. So we find out that a behemoth, And we believe as much as possible that this behemoth was probably a dinosaur. Some say he was a rhinoceros or a hippopotamus. But look at the description of this behemoth. In verse 16, now lo, his strength is in his loins. Verse 16 of chapter 40. His force is in his muscles of his belly. He moves his tail like a like a cedar tree. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are like strong pieces of bronze, and his bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief, he is the chief of the ways of God. He who made him can make his sword to approach unto him. So you see this description. He has a tail like a cedar tree. Now, that description to me sounds very much like a dinosaur. He's a huge creature. We find in chapter 41, uh, when it speaks about the Leviathan, verse, verse 28, an arrow cannot make him flee. 
Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughs at the spear of a man. I'm not sure he literally actually laughed, but you get the idea. It was nothing to him. These are great creatures, and I believe very much that these were dinosaurs. These were on the ark, and many others like them were on the ark. The Bible's filled with language about dragons. Now we say, well, they're mythical creatures. No. Dragons are another word for dinosaurs. Probably sea dinosaurs. Sea dinosaurs, and uh, I don't believe sea dinosaurs were on the ark. Nothing from the sea was on the ark, but these dinosaurs were certainly on the ark. Leviathan and Behemoth on the ark. Uh, Dragons in the water, Psalm 74. Uh, other dragons that were dinosaurs were in the same time as man. And um, another thought. Can it be that dinosaurs are truly 65 million years old? Within the last 10 or 15 years, they've discovered certain things. They've discovered in some of these dinosaur fossils, they've discovered soft tissue in the in the uh, in the in the finds they've had, especially in the bones, in the marrow, soft tissue in the marrow of the bones in dinosaur finds and digs that archaeological uh, that that archaeologists have had. Now, if they've had soft tissue anywhere in a dinosaur bone, if dinosaurs were, were 65 million years old, that would be an impossibility buried in the earth, still have soft tissue after 65 million years. This is a little, uh, uh, this is from an online version of of the uh, Los Angeles Times. Soft tissue discovered in a bone of a dinosaur, intact after 70 million years. Los Angeles Times says, this find could force dinosaurs to reconsider how all fossils are formed. It's an impo- they know it's an impossibility to have dinosaurs living 70 million years before a man and still having soft tissue in the bones of the dinosaur. It's impossible. In Canada, a hydrosaur, here's kind of the picture of him, when they, when they did the archaeological dig with him, they also found soft bone tissue. Again, scientists are beginning to see this more and more and more. This gentleman, uh, Mark Armitage, is a scientist, a professor at the University of California uh, in a small state college in California, Northridge. He wrote a paper saying that they have found that dinosaurs are not as old as we once thought they were. There's soft tissue that shows that dinosaur bones and dinosaurs' uh, presence were not 70 or 65 million years ago. He was fired from his job for doing that. He went to court, and he won in court because there's too much evidence that there is soft tissue in dinosaur bones. That's a great evidence. You're talking to a friend, and they said, do you believe dinosaurs, um, dinosaurs were on the ark with Noah. Do you believe that dinosaurs lived with man? And to tell them, do you know that scientists say dinosaurs were on earth 70 million years ago, but they found soft 
tissue in bones, which would prove that dinosaurs aren't as old as they say they are. I don't know how old they are. I know they're on the ark with Noah. But it's a great evidence, more and more evidence coming out that what scientists have thought at one time is not actually true. What we find also is there are cave drawings uh, which may date 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago. Cave drawings that men, primitive peoples, have drawn on cave walls. And as you look at them carefully, they're definitely pictures of dinosaurs. Men hunting, primitive peoples hunting dinosaurs. Here's one, a picture. Primitive people with primitive uh, art skills. Uh, but that looks very much like a dinosaur. If we got, there's Jane over there. She's saying that is a dinosaur. Look at the tail, right? Look at the neck. That is a dinosaur. Someone drew that. He didn't go to university in our modern society. He saw something and he drew it on a cave wall. He didn't know that scientists said that they lived 70 million years before man did. Isn't it interesting? Dinosaurs in cave walls. Here are men, primitive people with their spears and arrows, hunting this. What is that? Jana can tell you. That's another dinosaur, right? The neck. The tail, the feet, they're hunting dinosaur. Isn't it interesting? Were dinosaurs on the Ark of Noah? Absolutely they were. So we go back to our chapter in early parts of Genesis, in chapter 6. We see exact details, months and dates, how large the ark is, how, uh, how many animals or what kinds of animals were brought upon the ark, uh, all of these details, how long it took to build the ark. With all this evidence, it gives us great confidence that we're talking to someone. And they tell us, how can you ever believe what the Bible says about the flood and the ark of Noah? I would suggest give them some of these kind of evidences. And you can get this kind of evidence from Answers in, in, Answers in Genesis and Creation Research Institute. Uh, you probably can get it from the Ark Encounter to, to see that. But get some of this evidence and show people and talk to people. And I think one other thing that is very valuable, there are people that come to faith in Christ, um, and they are stumbled when they go to college and university or high school and they tell them, a Christian can't believe this kind of account. And it's great to give evidence to a young believer to say, here's, here's evidence of why we can believe what is in the Bible. Apologetics is great for the unbeliever, but I think it's very good for the new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. To give them evidence to say, yes, I can believe this book. You know, years ago, C.H. McIntosh, he said this. He said... I don't need a torch. Back in those days, it was a torch. On a, we would say flashlight. I don't need a flashlight and point it to the sun to prove to me the sun is still shining. That's what he meant about the Bible. We don't need, we don't need to prove to us this is true. But there are people 
They're new believers, maybe unbelievers, that are stumbled because they're not sure how to reconcile certain things in the Bible. I think it's great to give some apologetic evidences. Uh, we spent Wednesday nights going through a series of videos uh, that, that taught about creation science. And it's a wonderful thing to do that, to give evidence to believers why we can trust the Bible. And so I would encourage you to do that. I hope it's been a help to you tonight. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God and Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for the word of God, Father. We thank you for what we see in the life of Noah. We read about him that was a man of faith. By faith, he built an ark. By faith, he obeyed God. By faith, he did all the things that God told him to do. And so, Father, we thank you for what we read. We thank you for these chapters, 6, 7, and 8, all the details, all the days and the dates and the months uh, that we read about, the size of the ark, the details about the animals that went into the ark, the seven days that we read about that you waited for others to take this step and come into the ark as well. And so, Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.